There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Bronson, coming to you live from the illustrious Hampton University <laughs> in Hampton, Virginia. <laughs> My co-hosts on the line with me today are Arthur Cribs from Howard University in Washington, D.C., and Bill Roden from New York via Morgan State University. The, illustrious, the illustrious Morgan <laughs> State, Whitney. Ah, <laughs> uh, the illustrious Morgan State, excuse me. <laughs> you started it. Kevin Parrish Jr. is from Bowie State, and he will be on social. How are you guys doing on this Friday? Oh, good. I'm doing pretty good. It's pretty chilly in D.C., but I'm in the undefeated office, and so I'm happy to be indoors. Uh, well, it's freezing here <laughs> in New York. Yeah, it actually got pretty darn cold here. It was just 70 the other day, and now it's in the 50s. So, yeah, not exactly happy about that. No. But. Hmm? Oh, I, I was agreeing with you, you know. Winter, oh. what, is it, what do they say in uh, yeah. uh, Game of Thrones? Winter is here. Winter is coming. It's coming. Well, it's not coming. It's here. Yeah, right. So before we get started, recently, former President Barack Obama made some comments about cancer culture. He said that sitting back and criticizing people doesn't bring about lasting or real change. You know, this this idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff. You should get over that quickly. The world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may love their kids and, you know, share certain things with you. And, and, and I think that one danger I see among young people, particularly on college campuses, there is this sense sometimes of, the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb, or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV. Watch my show. Watch Gronish. <laughs> um, you know, that's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. You know, if, 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 if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. So I was wondering what are you all thoughts on that? Okay, yeah, so I, I would say that I'm probably in the minority among people like my age. But for the most part, I agreed with what President Obama said. Um, you know, there have been times where social media movements have worked, like the Me Too movement, the new R. Kelly, where they've brought significant change. But there are other instances where it seems like people are just getting exposed um, and kind of embarrassed for their past actions. One example would be like Kyler, Mir- Kyler Murray after he won the Heisman Award. Uh, some old tweets came out from when he was about 15 that were homophobic, and I think Kyler Murray should have been accountable for his actions, but he shouldn't be defined by something that he said as a teenager. I think certain people 
need to be canceled. You know, I'm, you know, I, I, I see what, uh, what, uh, the president was saying, um, that just across, you know, that you, you should be able to atone and you should be able to move on with your life and not just be unplugged. Um, but like Arthur was saying, I mean, it was something like R. Kelly. Certain people I think need to be unplugged. Certain people I think need to be canceled. So I, I guess I just take it on a, on a case by case, um, basis. I don't know. You know, what, what do you think? Well, I agree with President Obama. Here's my problem with cancel culture. People are very quick to say that someone is canceled or say that we shouldn't support them and all this other type of stuff. And then, you know, just a few weeks later, they're fine with them again. And those people have gained all of their followers back. Um, There have been a couple of makeup artists and whatnot, like Jeffree Star. He was supposed to have been canceled, yet... His makeup palettes are still selling. He's still getting money from people. Yet, if everybody canceled him, you know, how is he still making money? Mm. So that's honestly my biggest issue with cancel culture is that people will say that they're going to do it and then don't stick to their word. So I honestly agree that criticizing people just doesn't do anything. You actually have to take action, like stop supporting them monetarily. So it actually does, you know, put a dent in their support system. Well, remember... You know, right in, after Kaepernick and all that, a lot of people said, "Oh, we're not, we're going to cancel the NFL." You know, that was almost like the ultimate cancel thing, and uh, I think it's kind of come back probably as strong as ever in terms of viewership and all that. So um, I'm not sure what that means. I don't know. Are we saying that we need to stick to our guns or or be more resolute or you know, I don't I don't know what that you know. Every day something happens that you cancel somebody including something that you really enjoy. So I don't know, you know, do we, maybe as a society, we're just not resolute enough. All right, so, yeah, I think a couple of months ago, everyone had, like, this negative view on Kanye West, at least on Howard's campus. And then during homecoming, he has a surprise performance during the Sunday service. And all of a sudden, like, it was packed Mm. when he arrived. And so the discussion was, as a community and as a, as a university, do we kind of stick to our initial beliefs and kind of mute him or do we forgive him for the things he said? And so there's just a lot of inconsistency um, about how we should approach yeah. this cancel culture. I mean, you know, we're in such a celebrity culture. I mean, it didn't just happen, but we've been evolving almost every decade. Celebrity gets larger and larger, and it seems like we're addicted to celebrity. You know, everybody wants to be with the celebrity. Everybody wants to, you know, um, you know, be with somebody's known. Everybody wants to be at the party. Everybody wants to be, you know. So I guess it's hard to cancel somebody you really want to, you know, be around. You know, whether it's the NFL or, like you said, Kanye. Oh, are you gonna, are you going to go to the 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 prayer? Bro? Oh yeah, Kanye's. You know. So I, I don't know. You know, it just seems that maybe that horses out the barn what really i mean for each of you i mean what when's the last time you guys have canceled somebody i mean has, have either of you canceled somebody me personally i have um i took all of r kelly's music off my phone um don't listen to him mm. you know none of that so i guess really the last person i quote unquote canceled is r kelly mm-hmm. yes same the only person i've canceled is r kelly um, I mean, the only other people I've seen that have been, like, called out are, are baseball players like Josh Hader or Sean Newcomb, right. um, who were, like, called out for old tweets. But in those instances, you know, I give the benefit of the doubt to people. Um, and I think that in those cases with the baseball players, they were called out for, for old tweets. Um, and I, I believe that people change, and I don't think it's fair to hold people 
to, to have a certain view against people just because of what they did, you know, over a decade ago. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's kind of a bone of contention with me as well, because mm-hmm. um, the fact that people actually take the time out of their day to scroll through people's old tweets, it's like, who has time for that? You know what I mean? Like, just <laughs> where is that even coming from? Like, I know I have work to do, you know, school work. I'm trying to graduate. I don't have time to go scrolling through people's old tweets just to find something that's damaging against them. Mm. Um, especially if, you know, they're doing so much good now. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen Brother Nature on Twitter. Like, he's actually bringing awareness, you know, to animals and the environment and everything. And somebody dug up some old tweets of his that he did when he was, I think, around 12 years old. So, and they were trying to cancel him for those tweets. Mm -hmm. And then he came out, took responsibility for them, and apologized for it. So, yeah, I just don't understand if you're trying to cancel someone because of old tweets. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I think that has to do with the age of social media that we live in. Um, And everyone wants to have that next viral tweet and the easiest way is to call out a notable person for what they did in the past. Seems like social media has been around and I mean, you know how damaging it is. I don't know. We just kind of let people off the hook. Oh, well, he's 15. Oh, well, he's 16. Well, I don't know. Where's the accountability? So I think when it comes to old tweets, I think the person should be held accountable, but at the same time, you shouldn't be defined by what you did, you know, five years ago. Um, I understand that like a 15 year old is still old enough to think they're him or herself, but they shouldn't be viewed in a different way just because of what they said in the past. Yeah. Well, I still take it as we move on. I still take it as on a case by case, but you know, I, I've got a big cancel stamp that I carry around, but I take it on a case by case basis. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to go with that and take it on a case by case basis, but we are going to move on as well. So we have some great discussions lined up for today. First up, we'll be talking about load management in the NBA. And we spoke to a few players and coaches on our prospective campuses to get their opinions about the matter as well. And then we will touch on Kansas City's city council voting to change the name of a historic street from Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard to the Paseo. And for clarification, they're changing it back to the Paseo. Mm. So the street was originally named the Paseo, it was voted to be changed to MLK Jr. Boulevard, and now it has been changed back. But for now, let's get into load management. So the NBA fined the Clippers for inconsistent statements about Kawhi Leonard's health. But the larger question is, How can star players stay healthy and satisfy fans? Is load management a load of crap, or is it a wake-up call to fans and leagues that the game needs to be more sustainable? So for those who may not know, load management is defined as the deliberate temporary reduction of external physiological stressors intended to facilitate global improvement in athlete wellness and performance while preserving musculoskeletal and metabolic health. (laughs) So if you tuned out when I said all of those big (laughs) words, load management is basically when an athlete reduces the amount of games or training he or she participates in to help their recovery process and preserve their bodies for the long run. So the debate has been on whether or not load management is needed. And old school athletes, you know, like Kobe Bryant, disagree with the NBA's use of load management. 
So let's get started. Do you all agree or disagree with load management being used to preserve the long-term health of athletes? Yeah, I agree with load management like 100%. Um, growing up, I remember seeing the San Antonio Spurs play, and they're like a great example of load management, especially that 2013-14 season when they had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili all over the age of 30, and yet none of them played more than 75 games or averaged more than 30 minutes per game. And although they had an older team, they still made it to the NBA Finals and won the Finals while still resting their players throughout the season. Well, but... Mm, Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm sort of mixed about it. I guess, you know, I mean, as students, I mean, should, should, should load management go across the board? First of all, the only people who are dealing with load management, if you notice, are star players. You know, are they the only ones who need load management? I mean, you know... It seems like everybody in an 83-game schedule, it's either everybody should be able to take a night off or two nights off, but you notice it's just your star players. It's just Kawhi or LeBron or those guys. It's not like your average guy or your average player. So I don't know. Then, you know, you go to a game or you, let's say you go to the opera and then, you know, you're, you're there because you want to see this person sing this role. And then just before it starts to, uh, this evening, so and so is on load management. You know, she will not sing the part. It will be sung by her understudy. And then you always hear this groan in the audience. Oh, you know, you go to a concert and you're expected to see, you know, Beyonce. And there's, you know, Beyonce's been on a very rigorous tour, so she's not going to sing. You know, but you'll enjoy her sister. So I mean, I I don't know. Um, you know, as a student, you know. Do you guys do load management? You know, well, I don't know. It's, you know, I think I'm going to take the week off. Um, I don't know. I just think it should be, uh, maybe they should just shorten the season if that's the issue. You know, I, I don't know. So I, I kind of side a little bit with some of the old school people. I understand the business of it, but it's, it's load management is not for everybody. It's basically for your stars. I guess that's my problem. So what about, you know, um, Kobe Bryant? disagreeing with it and you know he was quoted saying that he only took a game off when he couldn't walk and if you can walk and perform get out there so what do you think about that kobe's also like one of a kind and so yeah kobe i think he honestly should have done more load management towards the end of this end of his career um especially like the last three years of his season the last three seasons of his career had he taken better care of himself i think he could have actually helped the Lakers make playoff runs, um, but instead he got hurt and tried to overexert himself, and I think it ended up costing him right. the latter half of his career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you make a good case, Arthur. I mean, I, that part I agree with. You have to take care of your body. It's a really long and grueling season, so maybe you should just shorten, shorten the season. And, uh, you know, I guess from the athlete's perspective – you know, I could want you to play, but when you, you know, when you're, you know, when your body breaks down, uh, do the fans really care? No, you know, you're a disposable product, and uh, I, I think what this reflects is again more and more athletes seeing this as a business. Um, you know, the other thing I think it w- is going to be problematic now with gambling coming in. You know, how is how is load management going to affect gambling and the line? You know, um, 
when somebody takes a, a night off versus when they don't? You know, how's that going to affect, you know, it seems like now you have to start thinking about gambling and and how load management is going to, what kind of consequence, you know, will that have? So I, I don't know, I just, something about it, I understand about self-preservation, you know, you want to preserve your body and all that. Um, you know, what, so would you guys agree, let's say, if, if you take, you do load management, but we're, we're not going to pay you, we're not going to pay you for the time you miss. You know, we, we pay you to perform. If you don't perform, then, mm. you know, you know, or we, we'll give you X number of six days, six days. That'll be in the collective bargain agreement. Every player, like, you know, when you get a job, you know, you're going to get X number of sick days, X number of vacation days. So maybe you do it like that. You know, an NBA player gets 10 sick days a year or 10 load management a year. What do you think about that? I mean, I think, I feel like it, it kind of does depend on the player. Like, I agree with Art. They said, like, you know, Kobe was really different. But, I mean, to me, it kind of does make sense. Just, you know, sometimes when, you know, you're feeling so overwhelmed and you feel like your body is about to shut down, you need to take a break. Right. I mean, that happens to us as college students, to be completely honest. Some days we just have to completely take a mental health day because if we don't, we're going to go crazy. And I feel like it's almost a similar situation within the NBA, especially with the NBA's players talking about how much sleep, you know, they do and do not get. Like, they have to put themselves on a strict sleep regimen just so they'll have enough energy to function throughout the day. Right. So I I honestly wouldn't see a problem with that. You know, my mom, she talks about taking sick leave and stuff all the time. So with NBA players being able to, you know, take a sick leave when they really, you know, want to or really feel like it, I think that would honestly be a benefit um, because also going into the conversation of not being paid for those games that you miss, you know, ESPN and other broadcasters might lose money when these superstars don't play. But then again, on the opposite end, they'll be more healthy in the postseason when, you know, even more people are watching the finals and stuff like that. So it really just, um, I feel, depends on the situation. Yeah, so I agree that um, the NBA players should give, be given a certain amount of sick days, and then if they surpass that amount, uh, they don't get paid. Um, and you mentioned earlier also the NBA season should be shorter. I agree. I think that would put more pressure on teams because when you look at Kawhi, the reason why the Clippers are able to bench him so many games because even if Kawhi misses a few games, they're still going to make it to the playoffs. Right. So if you shorten the season – and you even make it harder to make the playoffs, I think it puts more pressure on guys like Kawhi to actually play because now he can, as with the system right now, he can basically sit out X amount of games and still make it to the playoffs and preserve all of his energy for April and May. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, um, Mr. Rody, you had mentioned that, the you know, now the fans won't be able to see their favorite player play, especially if they're traveling to these games. So do you think that these coaches should care more about what the fans want? Or at the end of the day, is it really about trying to preserve their player? Well, I I mean, I think self-preservation is always first. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to win games and keep their jobs. Um, You know, maybe the uh, teams, there's a way that you let people know, just like they do in the opera or, or, you know, somebody's just – not going to play this particular game. 
as we said before, maybe in the collective bargaining agreement, you know, everybody's got X, X sick days in the season, you know, and once you take those sick days, then you're, you know, you have to, you get docked or you don't get paid for those games. That's your question. I mean, I think the coach's number one thing is to preserve their players so they can win games. That's, that's the chief thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I feel like, you know, Adam Silver should maybe make a rule about this, you know, so we can almost have a regulation of load management. And then also, so I don't, I don't foresee something like this happening, but just so people can't abuse that system. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you said Adam Silver, it'll probably have to be the owners, you know, and, you know, I think this has to be something that's collectively bargained. You know, do we want to have a fixed number of games? Do we, you know, I mean, you know, days off, you know. Um, so I think, I, but I think it's, I don't know if Adam Silver could just declare, or, you know, he works for the owners. I don't know if he could just declare. But I guess the bottom line is, what do, you, what do we feel about the fans? Do fans feel cheated? Um, you know, or do they just want to see their team win? I don't, I don't know. I guess that's what boils down to I don't know if you or Arthur had a favorite player and if you had a game and thought the player was going to play and then didn't would you be disappointed and would you, and then would you curtail and cancel would, would you cancel the NBA or cancel that team <laughs> now I remember being uh, like living in LA during Kobe's last season and he sat out so many games um, I ended up going to like a Lakers magic game he didn't play and I think one thing that I would have liked was more transparency ahead of time. You guys mentioned earlier, um, if, you know, the team told the league and told fans, you know, a couple of days in advance, if whether or not the star players were going to play, I think it would help the fans and their view of the NBA. And it would help them determine whether or not they should actually pay money to watch a certain team play. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree 100%, yeah. And I think that's going to be the trend, um, especially like you mentioned earlier, Bill, about gambling. I think the bigger gambling gets, the more likely there's going to be transparency about whether or not the stars are actually going to play or not. Exactly, because that's going to determine how I bet. You know, I'm going to bet one way if Giannis is playing and another way if he's not. So you're right. I I think sooner than later, sooner rather than later, this whole load management is going to become more formalized. And you're going to have to know. You're going to have to tell people who's playing, who's not. I guess that's another discussion how we feel about gambling. But, you know, it's, it's a reality. And uh, I agree. I think transparency is going to have to become the thing. Did anybody know about hockey players? I'm wondering, because you know, I've never heard this come up. Hockey is just as grueling as the NBA. I haven't heard a lot, maybe, you know, about, about hockey players saying they want load management. Yeah, no, I haven't heard about it, but uh, like you said, Whitney, they should because they basically have the same schedule that NBA players have and play in the same season. Maybe we'll start something. Maybe we'll start a movement among hockey players. <laughs> so before we move on, do you all think that the season should be shortened to alleviate wear and tear? Because, you know, um, I think the reason we haven't really talked about college sports is because clearly they don't play as many games as, you know, they do in the NBA, although they're almost just as big of an entertainment factor. But um, should the season be shortened? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we talked about that earlier in the show. Um, 
I, I think it should be shortened. But then the owner's saying, well, yeah, but if it's shortened, we're going to have to also lower, you know, lower the revenue you get from, from basketball-related events, maybe even lower salaries because, you know, that's how they get the salaries from, you know, playing lots of games, selling apparel, sell, selling merchandise. Um, so all that has to be taken into consideration. But I think it should be shortened. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, it should be shortened, but the league will never do it just because the more games there are, the more money and the more revenue that teams are going to make, um, which is unfortunate, but it's a business. And at the end of the day, it's about making money. So I guess the best solution, honestly, is load management, to be completely honest. Right. Before we close out, my fellow fellow, Kevin Parrish, and I spoke to coaches at our respective schools about load management. First, you'll hear from Brian Wilson, an assistant basketball coach at Bowie State University in Bowie, Maryland. And the second voice you'll hear is the head coach of the men's basketball team at Hampton University, Ed Joyner. Um, so I was wondering how you feel about load management within the NBA and, you know, if they were to kind of trickle down and start doing it within college. Well, I think it's a big difference between the two because we only play 30, sometimes maybe 40 games. If you make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, they play 82 games a year. And I don't think people understand the wear and tear on your body that goes through that. Yes, I think there's an obligation to the playing fan that every game that you could possibly play, you should play because that's what people pay to see. But then you also want to, you also got to make sure or the, the teams have to make sure that they're protecting their investments too. So do I like it? No. All of us old school guys want to be Ironman and play, or play every game, play. But I do understand it, you know, and why they do it. So, like, what are your thoughts on, like, load management in NBA? Um, I guess the most recent thing is Kawhi's, you know, he set out last night. I mean, they're saying he had an injury, so he can't, you know, he can't play back-to-back. So, I mean, if he's injured, he really, really can't. You know, play, but you see him out there playing when he's healthy, he looks good. So I'm not 100% sure, like, you know, if he's hurt or not, but that's what the trainers are saying, so you got to kind of go with that. Does, like, Coach Brooks, does anything like that? Like, did he, like, he rest players ain't doing the season? Or uh, well, with us, we're, um, we're a little different. Um, so if a guy's a little banged up, we may give him a practice off or so, or, um, if the team, you know, we a rough stretch, we'll give him a couple of days off. We may go light in practice. We'll just do some free throws or watching film or lift or something like that. But um, with the NBA, it's like they're playing almost every other day. You know, they're, they're traveling, so they're, they're they're a little bit different. And they, I mean, they had the world class facilities, world class, you know, all oh, the trainers, uh, the trainers. So they can they can kind of bounce back a little faster than we can. I think. I, know, I mean, I kind of feel like you're getting paid millions of dollars. So I mean, you should be able, you should play, right. um, unless you like really injured, you really hurt. Um, so with Coach Joyner, I disagree. As I mentioned earlier, I'm pro-load management. Um, with that said, when it comes to college, I don't think college athletes have an excuse just because their season isn't as long. And so if you're only playing 30 to 50 games, there shouldn't be a reason for you to be sitting out games and resting your body. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I think the, the college perspective is a lot different. From the, from the professional perspective, you know, uh, I, I think that in college it's more of a dictatorship and, you know, guys want to play every minute because they're trying to get to the next level or just trying to play. So I think the perspectives are, are, are totally, you know, totally different. You know, the expectations are totally different. 
I mean, I'd love to see some players tell, you know, tell some of these high power, you know, high power coaches that they need load management, you know. Um, but like you were saying, I mean, it's, it's a shorter season too. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go for that in college either. You know, but I will say there is a certain amount of wear and tear that college athletes experience as well, especially um, when March Madness comes around. You know, I was looking at the men's basketball schedule down the line and later in the season, you know, it's like, okay, we have a a game on Thursday and then we have another game on Saturday and then we have another game on Tuesday. And it's like, that's honestly a lot to put on your body and to barely have practices in between where, you know, um, you can just have a rest or you can just have a shoot around. It just really does seem like a lot. But um, I, I also kind of disagree a little bit with Coach Joyner. Um, I think that load management is needed within the NBA. Because going back to what Arthur said, you know, with Kobe kind of running himself into the ground so he wasn't able to contribute as much towards the end of the season, you know, that can be disappointing to a lot of players. And that also can make ratings go down as well since he's not playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're two different worlds, you know. College, one uh the NBA longer season, more wear and tear. You know, I guess I'm coming around. At first I said I'd be more inclined to go old school. But yeah, I mean I, I kinda see load management, but I like to see load management for all. And uh and I think at the college level, probably the football players probably need it more than anybody. Mm. Mm. Really? That's a good point. Well yeah, because I mean oh, well. look at the sport. I mean, come mm. on. Showing up in class with crutches and you know, I mean, I think that's probably where you, you need load management, you know. And uh, in the NFL, guys are probably need load management. They're afraid, A, they have fewer games, uh, but also that they have less security. So you may have load management, and then you come in and you're t- cut. Hmm, Arthur, it seemed like you had something to say about that one. Yeah, uh, I was just surprised with football just because they only play once a week. They do go through more wear and tear, but I think just because there are fewer games and you only play once a week, it would be harder to convince the masses that there should be load management when it comes to football. Though that is a fair point about the the amount that football players go through with their bodies. I don't think we're going to see load management at the college level anytime soon. Well... We are going to move on from that discussion before we get a little too deep into college and everything. But we are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss how the Kansas City City Council voted to change a street name from Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard to the Paseo. Stay tuned. Kansas City, Missouri, voted to rename Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard back to the Paseo Boulevard. The street had been named in honor of King in January, 
and ran 10 miles through the predominantly black east side of the city. Close to 70 percent of voters favored the name change, as many citizens wanted to honor the Paseo legacy in Kansas City. While citizens are looking for other places in the city to honor King, this issue has sparked controversy over the past week. So I wanted to ask Bill and Arthur, if you could name a street after someone, anyone, who would it be? Yeah, so the first name that came to mind for me was Huey Newton, just because when I think about at least the city of Oakland, it's a very socially active city. And the person who I associate Oakland with is Huey Newton and to my knowledge, there's no street named after him. And there's another person who I also think should have a name, a street named after them, and that's Asada Shakur. Um, like Huey Newton, Shakur was a part of the Black Panther Party, and she was one of the members of the Black Liberation Movement. And when we think of those movements, it's male-dominated, and I think Asada Shakur did a lot of work, and she's a woman, and she should get that same recognition. Mm-hmm. I like that. I really do. And I I agree. I, like I just I just don't think they're going to do it, Arthur. Like, <laughs> I completely understand where you're coming from, but I guess I feel like they were probably a little too anti-government, I guess is the word to use for them to name a street after them. But I don't know. You never know. It could happen one day. Um, but I do like those name choices, though. Yeah, I like that, too. Osada Shakur, that's a great choice. Uh, I like to see, mm-hmm. you know, Kurt Flood have a street named after him, uh, you know, in St. Louis or New York, you know, or any place where you have a major league sports franchise since he, you know, he, he did so much to push, you know, uh, to, to set athletes, professional athletes free with free agency. So, yeah, I'd like to see uh, Kurt Flood. And I was going to say John Coltrane. But there are, I know there, there are streets named after John Coltrane, the streets named after Dizzy Gillespie, uh, street names after Duke Ellington. So I guess my big one would be Kurt Flood. Yeah, I like that. Okay. He like sacrificed his entire career just to be a free agent. And I think when you look at professional sports now, it's some, like free agency is something that a lot of athletes take for granted, the ability to move freely to any team you want to, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's still an issue. I mean, just, uh, a few days ago, uh, Tony Clark, who's the um, uh, executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, uh, issued a, uh, a statement to the Atlanta Braves general manager who said that, uh, you know, now that the playoffs are over, the World Series is over, the owners are going to get together and talk about free agency. Well, that's collusion. <laughs> you can't do that. And uh, I still think there are a lot of – there are a lot, although free agency – became the law of the land in like the 70s, I think there's still a lot of owners, a lot of people who still don't like it in all sports. The idea that players, you know, could kind of do, go where they want to go. And even we see it in the NBA, you know, players, star players have more power. So, yeah, I, I think that this free agency thing is has been something that uh, a lot of people have accepted, but I, I think a lot of owners still don't like it and still probably resent Kurt Flood for, for putting it in motion. So, anyway, that's... Well, you know, speaking of NBA players, I was going to say LeBron, but I believe he actually already has a street named after him in Akron. So, the person who I would name a street after is actually Claudette Colvin. Mm. Um, Claudette Colvin, she was the first person to refuse to give up her seat on a bus in Alabama during... Mm. Um, you know, the Alabama bus boycott movement and everything. But, you know, um, she was kind of 
swept under the rug um, in terms of history because Rosa Parks was just a better image, in all honesty. Claudette Colvin, she was a teenager at the time, and then after it happened and after she got arrested and everything, um, she got pregnant. Um, so she just didn't work very well with the image of protesting the the bus system and everything. But I will say that her the court case that she was a part of, it was her and a few other young women, um, their court case was the case that got the Alabama bus laws overturned. So I think, you know, for her activism and everything, she should most definitely have a street named after her. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's, like that's, that's, that's really when great. When it comes to, like, naming streets, that's, like, the only way, or one of the only ways to remember a person, I think. A lot of people don't even know who Claudette Coven is, but if there was a street named after her, there would be more recognition about who she is. And then, you know, it shows Absolutely. just because they give you the, you know, just like with Dr. King, they give you the street, but they can also take it away. But uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's, very, true. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, very true. Yeah, it's a great selection. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm feeling, you know, the whole activism vibe. I like it. So that ends our discussion about street names. And if you could name a street after anyone, who would you name or who would you name it after? So before we move on to Bravo Nabro, we are going to do a couple of trivia questions with Bill. So Arthur, why don't you take it away? All right, Bill. So the first question, you know, the Popeye sandwich has been really popular this week. Mm-hmm. So do you have a preference between Popeye's chicken sandwich or crab cake? Oh, it's just not even close. Crab cakes. Not even in the same planet. Yeah, crab cake, if, if, if they come from Maryland. Maryland crab cake. Let me just be clear. Maryland crab cake. Well, well, have you had the sandwich yet, Mr. Roden? No, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the <laughs> Maryland crab people come from all over the world to eat Maryland crab cakes, you know. But now I'll go after the show. I will go and uh, get a uh, a McSand. What are they, what are they called? What's it called? A McSandwich? Popeye's chicken sandwich. Please don't be disrespectful. <laughs> oh, God. You guys hyped it up the last one, so you guys hyped it up, and I went spicy chicken sandwich, and they didn't even have it. What? Okay, anyway, but first of all, the answer is Maryland crab cakes. But what makes the chicken sandwich so good? Is it like is they have like inner city chicken? I mean, what kind of chickens do they have? <laughs> Country fair chicken? The only thing I can say is that it's spicy. I don't know. I haven't had it either. In all oh, honesty. wait a minute. So what are you talking about? You, you haven't had it either. I'm not the one who picked something over another thing without having tried it first. Oh, God. So, so is there I'm anybody on this show? I was just trying to point something out. Oh, God. Arthur, have you had it? <laughs> no, I haven't. I tried to go on Wednesday. Oh, my God. What is this? Is, this is so bogus. I'm sorry. It's just too popular. No oh, God. <laughs> Well, okay. I would like to point out also that I have tried on two separate occasions to get the sandwich, and both times I went to three separate Popeyes, and I still didn't get it. Mm. So I think it's a conspiracy. (laughs) I don't. I don't. Does it even exist? Kentucky Fried Chicken doesn't run out of chicken. They don't run. You hear them running out of out of uh, chicken sandwich. You know what? Screw that. I'm going to go and get Kentucky Fried Chicken after the show. Here goes Bill with the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Don't let Randall hear you saying that. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. I wonder, has he, had, has he had it? He probably hasn't had it either. None of y'all had it. He has had it, actually, and he honestly thinks it's really, really good. So mm. that's, I don't know. I feel like it's overhyped, but I'm going to get it eventually, and then we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But I'm just telling you. But anyway, to answer your question, crab cakes by far. It's not even close. <laughs> what else you got? 
All right, Bill. So, so second question. So when we went to New York, I remember we saw a typewriter in your office. Mm-hmm. And over the course of your career, you've written several books and hundreds of columns. So what do you prefer, writing or typing? <laughs> mm, that's a good question. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Good question. Writing with typing a close second. I like the sound. I like the sound of the of the typewriter, the, the keys against the page and the and the bell when you get to the very end makes you feel like you're really accomplishing something. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I like I like the Actually sound. You use a typewriter. Sometimes I do. You know, when I, um, you know, yeah, sometimes I use a typewriter, you know, like when I'm writing, like, uh, yeah, I, I use a typewriter for certain things still. Unpopular opinion. I like using pen and paper sometimes, nope. you know. <laughs> right. So you still, but that's still encouraging. You still write, you know, longhand. That's, that's, that's rare for your, for your generation. Well, mainly, mainly, honestly, for like journal entries and stuff like that. It's just very therapeutic. It just feels like it's flowing like out of your body onto the paper rather than typing it, to be mm-hmm. completely honest. But in terms of, you know, articles and papers, I will take typing over writing any day. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I was, sometimes I may do a first draft longhand. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll definitely outline longhand and then I'll. You know, then I'll uh, type. But when you guys say type, you're talking about typing as on a laptop. You're not talking about, that's what you're talking about, right? Yes, I'm talking about a laptop. Okay. So I was talking about a a real typewriter. Oh, yes, I know. I've never actually written on a typewriter. I think that would be cool. Mm, Yeah, well. Next time you guys are in New York, you know, or even even in the undefeated office, you're, you're in the undefeated office. You should ask, uh, you know, Kevin Kevin Merida, uh, uh probably grew up on a typewriter. Ask you. Yeah. All right. All right. So our final question. So Bill used to be a jazz critic. So mm-hmm. who do you take between Miles Davis or John Coltrane? Well, the beauty of of the music is is not like a competition. But for the sake of argument, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like, do you prefer Mars or Saturn? Um, uh, I love. Them. Yeah, I, they're both tremendous innovators. Uh, if you're asking me, if if we're being to, exiled to a desert isle and they said you could only bring one your collection you could either bring your miles collection or your train collection which would you bring um and i probably would bring i'll probably be coltrane i'll probably be train yeah so coltrane because <laughs> you know miles had the issues with with women hitting women so i'd probably choose coltrane that's fair i've honestly yeah. never listened to either so i, I don't know what yeah <laughs> well you should you should. Yeah, you're right. Listen to listen to so what. You should listen to so what. In fact, that's your home. That's your homework assignment. Call up the album Kind of Blue and listen to uh, uh, so what. And then you'll hear Miles playing trumpet and you'll hear Coltrane soloing. And that will be a good introduction uh, to the music. So that's your homework assignment. And next time we're on the same podcast, I want a report. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, oh, you yeah, so you not? Oh, I can tell you what. You're not gonna do it. If I if I gotta eat chicken, you guys should, should at least listen to Kind of Blue. <laughs> what I remember the last time you told us to give us homework, you were supposed to listen to Raphael Sadiq, and you were supposed to listen to Young Thug. I did. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Not impressed, but I, did you did you listen to Raphael Sadiq? No, I listened to like the first two songs of the album. No, uh, I asked somebody what is all the, right. What is the greatest love song? I know this is not on our script. But that's okay. What what is the 
all the, what is what in your estimation is the greatest love song that you've heard? Uh, I would go with uh, "Down for You" by Kaylani featuring BJ, the Chicago kid. It came out like in 2015. That's a good song. Down for you. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What about you, Whitney? Well, uh, honestly, as soon as you said love song, the first one that popped in my head, I guess might be kind of obvious, but I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Hmm. Yeah, I'll change my answer. It's Whitney Houston, I'll always love you. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, sorry, Whitney. I, I, I was hijacking okay, well, the show. Go ahead. Well, that closes out that trivia segment always enjoy the trivia with bill but before we close out the show we want to leave you with bravo nabro where we quickly share the incidents in sports and culture that we liked and didn't like this week so arthur why don't you start us off yes so my nabro is actually to the city of las vegas for a law that they passed making it illegal to sleep or camp in public places, uh, there's a lot of ways to deal with homelessness, and I don't think criminalizing it is one of those ways. And a broad vote to Kalen Bennett of Kent State. He was the first autistic player to score in a Division One basketball game. And so although he's the first, I hope he's the first of many. Mm. I like those. Mm. Yeah, honestly, Las Vegas needs to get it together because that's, that's not it. That's not okay. Mm, that's too bad. That's probably going to spread. That's disturbing. Uh, I only have a uh, Bravo <clears throat> A bravo to um, the Baltimore Ravens and especially Jim Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson uh, for a tremendous performance uh, against the, New England, the hated New England Patriots. Uh, Jackson uh, <laughs> came through on national television, so I'll give him a bravo for that. And, uh, you know, Nabra is just, I'm still uncertain about load management, too, so Right now, for everybody, every star player who does load management, I'm like, ah, nah, bro. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, would you give a nah, bro to Antonio Brown, who's trying to get back into the NFL? Uh, no, I give him a bravo. I mean, I give somebody, whoever hires him, I give him a bravo, but it seems like what the NFL is saying is that they're saying the same thing to him they're saying to Colin Kaepernick. Nah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay then. Well, my Nabro goes to T.I., who said that he accompanies his 18-year-old daughter to gynecologist appointments to make sure that her hymen is intact, essentially mm-hmm. making sure that she is still a virgin. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's a nah, bro, because there are actually many other ways that the hymen can be broken besides sexual contact, and that is just a very large invasion of privacy, to be completely honest. Uh, so, yeah, that's not it for me. And my bravo goes to the Hampton University women's basketball team who beat Alabama Crimson Tide by a buzzer beater. So a lot of people, even on Hampton's campus, really sleep on the team and don't realize how good the team is. So hopefully we will see more people coming out to the games because that buzzer beater was honestly crazy. So that is my bravo. All right, cool. Well, all right. That is all we have time for today. If there's anything you'd like us to cover or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Roden Fellows. You can also contact us directly. I am on Twitter at wit underscore bit 98. That is W-H-I-T underscore B-I-T nine eight. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Arthur. That's C-R-I-B-B-S underscore A-R-C-H-U-R. And you can follow me at at W.C. Roden. That's at W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson and Kevin Parrish. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Whitney Bronson, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. 